Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Take your Bible tonight, and let's go to uh, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 tonight, and we are going to, uh, in the last couple of weeks, well, for Sunday nights, it's actually been the last month we've been out of our series in 2 Samuel and had some special speakers and different things going on and uh, had planned to get back in our series tonight, and so we're jumping back right back into 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'll try to uh, try to give a recap here in just a minute, kind of where we're at in the story. And uh, I love I love Old Testament narratives. I love Old Testament stories. And um, I probably would say that preaching Old Testament books is some of my favorite, uh, just because I love diving into the story and figuring out what does this have to do with me, and how can I learn from this, and what's some principles I can take away from this. And um, <clears throat> I hope that uh, hope that the series has been a help. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. And so I'm looking forward to tonight. How many of you have ever broken a bone? You've broken a bone before. Oh, isn't that miserable? Oh, man. I was, um, I was 13 years old, 14 years old. We had just moved to Tacoma, Washington, or to Lakewood. And I was playing basketball with a, a, a young man that <clears throat> was in our youth group at the time. And uh, he, he was playing, he was playing kind of dirty. You know, he's one of those players that... Uh, didn't didn't like to get beat, and I I was probably beating him. That's what I have a tendency to do is is win at sports. But no, I'm just teasing. I was we were playing basketball, and I went to take the ball, and I went to kind of drive around him. And right when I did, I can close my eyes, I can see it just like it happened. I remember him. I, right when I went to go around him, he just went like this. He just stuck his foot way out far as he could, and sh- you know I was running, and sure enough, he tripped me, and I fell. And landed right on my wrist, and it just snapped, and it echoed. Boom, boom. You heard it, you know. And I just started screaming. I started screaming, and I jumped up, and, and he's, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dennis. I didn't mean to, you know. And I was like, yes, you did. And, uh, man, I ran home, and I was holding my arm, and, and uh, ran into the house. And, of course, my mom, everybody knows how calm she is under duress, and so... Uh, my mom, she just started, you know, flipping out, like, what in the world, ah! you know, doing her thing, and, and uh, pretty soon we got a hold of dad, and so it was, uh, I think it was a Monday, it was a holiday, um, it was Memorial Day, that's what it was, it was Memorial Day, May of that year, and uh, we went into the clinic, the, and they, of course, took an x-ray, and sure enough, I had, I had fractured both bones, and it was just, it was going to be bad, and they said, you're going to have a, you know, a hard time, uh, it's going to take a, a long time to recover from this one, blah, 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 gave me all the sad story, and I'm just like, I don't care, just make it feel better and fix it, and so they said, well, we're going to give you some medication, and then we're going to send you home, and my dad's like, well, don't you need to, re- don't you need to, to put a cast around it and set the arm? And he said, oh, well, it's a holiday, and our doctors that would cast it, they don't work today. And so you actually have to make an appointment for, and so I had to wait three days. I had to wait three days to get, to get that arm uh, set. So we went back in, and they did another x-ray. 
Well, in those three days, the calcium had built up already and my arm started, it started mending itself, you know, which our body does, but it did it crooked. And so we're sitting in there and I think I've told the story before, but we're sitting in there at the doctor's office and it's just me and my dad. And actually my mom was in there as well. The doctor came in, he said, you know, I've got good news and I've got bad news, you know, and People only say that because all they have is bad news and they just wanna make you feel like they have good news. He's like, the good news is we can help you. Well, duh. Uh, But the bad news is your arm has already started to heal itself and we actually need to re-break your wrist. I'm sitting there with my arm like this and I'm like, it's only been three days. Why do you have to re-break it? And he began to explain to me, well, it's, it, you, see, you see on this x-ray here, see how it's crooked and all that. He said, your arm, your arm will stay crooked unless we re-break your wrist. And then he said this. He said, now, you have one of two options. One, we can take you over to the hospital. And he looked at my dad. And he said, and, it, and we'll charge you. It'll be about $100. And we'll put him under. And we'll break his arm and do it there. And then, he, then the doctor He just, so disrespectfully, he said, number two, and he looked right at me, you could be a man and we could do it here. (laughs) I'm sitting there, I mean, it still hurts. And I'm like, I look at my dad and before a word could even come out of my mouth, my dad put his arm on my shoulder and went, he'll be a man. (laughs) I don't wanna be a man right now. And that doctor, he looked at my mom and he said, well, you know, Mrs. Fountain, I'm going to ask you if you would uh, to go ahead and, and go into the waiting room because your son is going to scream. And my mom's like, oh, I can't, I can't hear him scream. Oh, and, and he's like, well, then you might want to go a few rooms away. The nurse actually took my mom seven rooms down. She's seven rooms away. And that doctor, he took my arm in both hands, my dad put a handkerchief in my mouth and I was biting down on a handkerchief. And then my dad starts reading Calvin and Hobbes to me. You know the comic, Calvin and Hobbes? He knew I enjoyed it. And so my dad's like, so Calvin said, you know, and I'm sitting there like, (laughs) shut up, dad, (laughs) you know. And that doctor, he goes, one, two, and just snaps my arm. And I have never felt pain like that. I mean, I thought it hurt the first time. That time, I mean, I just screamed bloody murder. And my mom, seven rooms away, she said she heard it like I was right next to her. Like everybody had to think, there's a doctor killing a child inside of that room right there. And I was just like, ah, screaming, you know, handkerchief slobbers going everywhere. My dad's like, good job, good job, son, you know. And I'm like, I hate you all, you know. I'm just blowing up. And, you know, a doctor did that. And right after he broke it, you know what he did is he took my arm and he kind of pushed it together move some things around, and you heard pop. And everything popped back in. All the bones popped back into place. And he said, all right, now we can cast it. Now we can cast it. So then they proceeded to, to cast my arm. Now, of course, it was sore. It, it hurt a little bit. But you know, he couldn't, he couldn't cast my arm for those... Or, or, he couldn't cast my arm without re-breaking it. 
He, could, he couldn't cast it without re, re-breaking it. Well, why? Because he wanted to fully, listen, he wanted to fully restore the use of my arm. He wanted restoration. Restoration simply means to put something back to use. It means to put something back to its purpose. It means to bring things back in line with how they were created, what they were supposed to be. As we come back to our study in 2 Samuel, we're going to learn this truth tonight that restoration, restoration in our relationship with God is always available. We're gonna learn this, that when we sin, what happens, and we've talked through this, when we sin, we break our fellowship with God. And while we are still his child, while we still have a relationship with God, the fact of the matter is that when we sin, we hinder and we break our fellowship. We break the, the not the relationship, we're still his child, but we break the communication. We break uh, the idea of us really fulfilling purpose and finding fulfillment. We hinder, we harm the fellowship. And you know what God wants? God is, and just, just kind of put this in your mind and tuck it away for years, that God is always about restoration. He is always about making things right. God is always about restoring things to the way they should be. God pursues restoration. If you've been with us in our series, then you'll recall kind of where we are at in the series. Of course, the story of, the excuse me, the, the book of 2 Samuel is really a book about the life of David. Of course, you end 1 Samuel with David having been promised the kingdom, but really not the king. Saul is dead in the end of 1 Samuel, and we find all of the events that take place there. But then finally, in 2 Samuel chapter number one, David becomes king over Judah. He becomes king over that southern tribe, and and they, they call him, and he becomes king. But then for seven years... For seven years, David has to uh, really battle against the northern tribes of Israel because they, following the leadership of, of uh, one of their generals, they follow Ishbosheth, the, uh, the, the, the son that's placed. Is it Ishbosheth? Yeah, it is. They follow Ishbosheth, and he's kind of that puppet king set up, if you will. And long story short, God allows circumstances to happen and uh, Ishbosheth dies and, and the one kind of running, Asaph kind of, or is it Asaph? Nope, it's not Asaph. Um, his name just left me. Uh, now I just gotta go back. We're just gonna do this. I'm sorry. If you go back to First uh, Samuel chapter one and uh, it's really bad when you just don't even have your notes there. Brian, who was in charge? Abner, thank you. Who said that? Thank you, John. I knew it wasn't. I knew. I knew it wasn't Asaph. Whatever. I was. He wrote Psalms. Anyway, <laughs> Abner is the one who's the general, right? And it was Abner who he had seen David kind of grow up, and he had seen David uh, become the the leader that he was and the general that he was. And Abner knew, man, there is hope, there is purpose with this young man. But Abner chose to be driven and led by pride, and so then he sets up Ishbosheth, and God through circumstances 
allows Abner to die, allows Ishbosheth to die. Finally, finally, David is king. And David sets up the kingdom over Israel and over Judah, all of the tribes of Israel. David now is king and he sets up the kingdom. And if you'll recall, he sets it up well. Remember what he does? David establishes Jerusalem as the capital. And then David brings the the Ark of the Covenant, representing the the presence of God, to to Jerusalem. He brings the Ark into the camp. And and David begins to annihilate all of the enemies. And all of these things are going well until 2 Samuel chapter number 11. Because in 2 Samuel chapter number 11, David makes a choice that would literally haunt his story forever. Still to this day, I think David wishes 2 Samuel 11 was taken out of scripture. I mean, if it was me, I would. Well, what happened in 2 Samuel chapter number 11? Well, you remember it was the time when kings were supposed to go out to war and David, he, he uh, didn't fulfill his obligation as a king and he stayed back. And the night came when David was uh, really just kind of lazy and about the house and he was on that rooftop and he looked out and David's, David's roof would have been the highest, the, the castle roof, king's roof would have been the highest in the land and we've been there in Israel to that old area and to that, that place that would have been king's, the king's palace and, and how it looks down on all of the other little houses down there and he got up there and looks down and he sees Bathsheba. And he sees her bathing, and, and if you were here in our, our, our series and our message a few weeks ago, uh, we understood what David did. He called for someone, a servant, hey, go get Bathsheba. And someone said to him, and God placed this person there, hey, that's Uriah's wife. No, David, this isn't a right move. And yet David got Bathsheba and had a relationship with her sent her home. A few months went by. A few months went by. And Bathsheba replies to David, sends word to David, hey, I'm with child. And David thinks, all right, how do I get out of this? Send for Uriah. He's on the battlefield. Bathsheba's husband, send him back. So Uriah comes and David talks it up with Uriah and then says, Uriah, go on home. And Uriah that night doesn't go home to his wife. He has character and he says, no, how can I, how could I uh, party? How could I live my life and spend time with my wife? And how could I do all of that when the servants are still out fighting and when you're men? And David said, well, I thought you would go home. And that was the first night. Then second night, David said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll get him drunk. I'll get him drunk and then I'll get him home. And Uriah doesn't go home. David, with a vengeful spirit then, writes a letter to Joab, instructing Joab to put Uriah at the the heat of the battle. And Uriah is now carrying his own death sentence. Goes to Joab. Joab gets it, reads it. No doubt, Joab, he wasn't an idiot. Joab knew something's going on. Joab sends Uriah to the heat of the battle. Uriah, along with many other men, die in a battle that shouldn't have taken place. Joab sends word from the battle all the way back to David. Hey, uh, messenger, go tell David that we lost this little skirmish. Go tell him we lost some men. If he gets mad, 
Just tell him, Uriah, thy servant is also dead. The servant goes back to David, and David <clears throat> hears the message, and from the context of the scripture, we would probably lean to the fact that David's getting kind of upset. Like, why did Joab do this? Like, that's not a smart military move. And the servant says, oh, by the way, Joab said to tell you, Uriah's dead. David goes, oh, well, you know, the, the sword will consume one and it'll consume another. So it's okay. Go tell Joab everything's fine. And then David takes Bathsheba as his wife. But I want you to notice, if you will, 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the last part of verse number 27. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 27, it says this. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. <clears throat> David gave in to a temptation. And that temptation turned in to one sin after another sin. And in our last message, we learned some lessons about temptation. Very quickly, just because I wanna kind of connect everything, we learned that temptation comes to everyone. But David's a king. David's a man after God's own heart. No, it couldn't happen to David. Hey, temptation comes to everyone. Temptation comes when we let our guard down. It came in David's life when he was kind of relaxing and taking it easy. Temptation comes when we disregard responsibilities. He should have been at war. Temptation, uh, unless it's dealt with, it will cause sin. And sin always leads to more sin. What, a, what, a, what a, a lesson in that story of David, just one thing after another. Sin always has a price. Sin is always avoidable. And God, the last lesson we learn, God always offers grace and forgiveness. And that last lesson, we mentioned it. And if you were here, I'm pretty sure I said that we would pick up there. And that's where we're picking up tonight that God always offers grace and he always offers forgiveness because of what I start, stated at the beginning, God is a God of restoration. And so tonight I want you to take your Bible and I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and we're going to work our way through this story and learn some principles about having a restored relationship with God. 2 Samuel chapter 12, let's stand together and we're going to read some verses. I have an extra letter at the beginning of this slide, but that's okay. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, down through verse number 7, it says, And the Lord, now remember this thing that David had done, it had displeased the Lord. Now we pick up. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he, Nathan, came unto him. David. And Nathan said unto David, there were two men in one city, and the one was rich and the other poor. The rich man, he had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and, and with his children. It did eat of his meat and, and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was unto him as a daughter. There came a traveler, a traveler unto the rich man, and 
He spared to take of his own flock. That means he desired not to take of his own large flock and of his own herd to dress or to, to kill and serve to the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But instead, he took the poor man's lamb. He killed it, dressed it for the man that was come unto him to serve it to him for dinner. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he, David, said unto Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore, to the, restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan, verse seven, and Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Let's pray and, uh, and then see what God has for us tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you just take a minute and in the quietness of your own heart, would you, uh, would you give God, give him permission? God, I give you permission to speak into my life. God, I give you permission to speak to me and then make a decision. God, if you speak to me, I'm, I'm listening to you. Dear Lord, thank you again for the word of God. Thank you for how it helps us and applies to us. And Lord, I pray that tonight you would, um, <clears throat> that you would use it and that you would help us to hear exactly what you want us to hear. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're gonna do in these next few minutes together. Pray that you'd help us to have um, the responsibility to make the decision that you want us to make, to respond to your spirit, and then that you would just use it great way in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I want to do something tonight <clears throat> that we do every now and then on a narrative, on a story like this. I want to really just kind of read the story. I want to read the story and work our way through it and then, and then gather our principles. Those first seven verses that we looked at, of course, Nathan shows up on the scene. Nathan, the prophet of God, shows up on the scene and he begins to, uh, he begins to give to David this story. The simple story of a rich man with a lot, of, a lot of animals and a poor man with just one animal that really was its pet and uh, someone comes to visit the rich man. And the rich man, instead of taking from his, his animals and his flocks, he sneaks in and, and perhaps has a servant steal the, the lamb of the poor man. And then he kills that lamb and serves it to his buddy for dinner. Well, David's irate. David's, David's livid. He says, you know what? We're, you're gonna kill that rich man, whoever it is. I don't care who it is. We're gonna kill him. Before they die, though, they have to restore fourfold to the poor man. Everything that the rich man has goes to the poor man. I mean, you can imagine David being very upset with this. And before we see Nathan's response of, of saying, thou art the man, before we really look at that response, I want us to understand what God does sometimes in our life. We're just going to try to make some connections as we go through this, that when you and I, when we have sin in our life, we are not going, listen, we aren't going to get away with it. And, and I'm not trying tonight to preach something that's going to be, you know, in our face of, of just uh, sin in our life. But we need to understand that sin is real and it can have a gripping, uh, a gripping grasp. It can have a grasp on, on your heart and on your life. 
And God is going to bring it to attention. God's going to bring it to attention. That happens one of two ways. God brings it to attention by us confessing it to the Lord because it's on our mind. Or God brings it to attention by making it public. We'll see that again in just a moment. But you know what I appreciate about Nathan? I appreciate Nathan's boldness. His boldness not to just be the prophet and the man of God in David's life, but I appreciate David's boldness to be a friend. Think about this. That's David. It's David the king. I mean, David the king, at this point, you don't know what's going on in his life. And perhaps Nathan's thinking, man, I don't know what he's going to say. But Nathan, with boldness, tells him this story. David gets irate. And Nathan says, David, stop. This story's about you. David, thou art the man. David was the one that was confronting, or excuse me, Nathan was the one that was confronting David, but we have to know that it was God that was using Nathan to get David's attention. When we read the Bible, if you're like me, we read the Bible like it all happened back to back to back to back to back. And so we read 2 Samuel 11 with uh, with David and Bathsheba, and we think, oh, Nathan came the next day. You know, like the next day, uh, there's a knock on the door and he opens the door. Nathan, oh, hey, buddy, what are you doing here? You know, and that, that's not how it happened. Between 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12, months have passed by. Months have passed by. So much so that in the passage, I believe I could point it out and, and make a case that probably, probably even up to a year and a half, maybe two years have passed by. Now, I think you could make a case for both ways, but um, actually, no, not two years at this point. That's later. Um, if you look at it, it's probably at this, at this point, it's probably about eight months. Probably eight months have passed. Seven to eight months have passed. Can I say that seven to eight months had passed? David had plenty of time, didn't he? He had plenty of time to just say, God, God, I, I've done this and I'm coming back to you. God, I repent. But he wasn't. So what did God do? God put a man in his path to to confront him. And God's confrontation through through, uh, uh, Nathan, God's confrontation to him was all about the facts. It wasn't wasn't a made-up story. Now, the illustration that Nathan used was an illustration, a made-up story, but everything else around it, Nathan was giving him the facts. Hey, David... This story isn't about a lamb, it's about a wife. David, this story isn't about somebody else, it's about you. You are the man. Thou art the man. Well, what's David's response? Go with me, if you will, to the second part of 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number seven. Because Nathan continues, Nathan says this, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now here's what God has to say, David. I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. 
What's, what's God saying to David through Nathan in those verses? I mean, basically, God's saying, David, you had it made. David, I loved you. I set you up as king. I gave you things, and if that wasn't enough, I told you, I'd just tell me what you want, and I'll write the check. If that seemed too little, do you see that in there? If that seemed too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. What's that mean? I would have given you anything you asked, David. I, I am working through you. I recognize you are a man after my own heart. Wherefore? Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. These verses, it's almost as if God's saying, David, I loved you. I've been good to you. I gave to you. I, I offered you a blank check. But you despised my commandments. That word despised is an inter interesting word. When we think of despise, we would think of the word of just to, to disregard, to not like. But the word despise in this passage, this verse, it actually can lead us down a road to, to understand. It would be like me taking the word of God and tearing out a few pages, throwing the whole thing on the ground, and then just stepping on it. Now, if I did that tonight, I hope somebody would come tackle me. Right? I hope somebody would say, Pastor, what are you doing? Man, are you, are you, take, are you on some medication? Pastor, what's wrong? Pastor, you don't... I mean, you act crazy, but not like that. Yeah. You know what? Here's what God... Listen. Here's what God said to David. David, what you've done is you've taken what I've given you and you haven't just slapped me in the face with it. David, you've despised it. You've stomped all over it. David, I've been good to you. David, I, I, I loved you with a love that, that is incomparable just as God would love us and we could point to that in just a minute. God says to David, David, I, I've given to you and I brought you in, I made you king. I've done all of these things and David... Why then did you go and just stomp on my word? Can I make the point tonight and the simple thought that New Testament writers make that when you and I, when we sin against God, little sin, big sin, we, we scale it, right? Well, that was just a little white lie. Well, that was an egregious thing. That was this, that was... Listen, sin is sin. And when we sin against God, do you know what we're doing? We're despising the word of God. We're saying, God, it, it doesn't matter to me that you died on the cross for me. And in that moment, in that moment, I have a friend that says we, we, have, we hit a, 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 um, a moment of atheism in our Christian walk. A moment where we say, I just don't believe God is real. I just don't believe he is in control. I just don't believe. And in that moment, our sin is saying, God, I know better than you. And pride is at the root of all sin. And what is pride? Pride is me, me, me. You know what David had done? He had despised the word of the Lord. 
Nathan shows up. David, what have you done? I mean, you killed Uriah. You committed adultery. And you, not only did you kill Uriah, but you look at the end of verse number nine, you killed him with the sword of the children of Ammon. You allowed him to die by the hands of the enemies. Verse number 10. Now, therefore, hey, David, because of this, the sword shall never depart from thine house. You're gonna be a man of war because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Isn't that interesting? In verse number 10, I've seen a couple of pastors bring attention to it. I never saw it until a couple other guys preached on it. One guy a few years ago at a meeting I was at. If you look in the, in the word of God, anytime that Bathsheba is referred to up until David's confession, she's always referred to as Uriah the Hittite's wife. You know why I think, and one of the reasons, I think God is trying to bring attention to Uriah's character time and time and time again. It wasn't Uriah in this that did anything. No, it was Uriah the Hittite's wife. It was David the king, and there's just a lot we could say there. Look down at the next verse. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. That would be fulfilled later in the life of Absalom. We'll see that down the road. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also he hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Hey, God's not gonna kill you for this. How be it? And this is a hard verse. How be it, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. That's a hard verse, isn't it? It's a hard verse because basically God is saying to David, I'm going to allow this child to die because of what took place, David. You're going to be a man of war. Your own son, someone from within your own house is going to rebel against you and he's going to end up, uh, later if you know the story of Absalom, Absalom pitches a tent on the top of the, of the castle and goes in unto David's uh, wives and, and concubines. He says, the sword is never gonna depart from your house. And this child that's been born, this child that's been born, I'm gonna allow it to die. Hey, David, there's consequences for your sin. Is God showing up through Nathan? Hey, David, you're, you have not got right with me. A few verses ago, hey, David, you did this, you did this secretly, but I'm going, to, I'm going to make this open. And this evening, I want us to understand that while God does offer restoration and forgiveness and grace, consequences always follow sin. Mark it down. Consequences always follow sin. Uh, James chapter one, verse 14 and 15, you know the verse as well. Every man, when he is tempted, he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, hey, all that's left when sin is done is death, is loss, is pain, is hurt. 
The old adage, sin will always take you farther than you want to go and make you uh, and cost you more than you want to pay. Hey, sin always has consequences. Cain said it this way in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 13. Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And Cain, verse number 14, 15, and 16 of Genesis 4, chose to walk out of the presence of God. Cain said, fine, I don't want, I don't want your way at all. This is too hard. I don't want your way at all. And he left. I'm glad David didn't do that. And I want you to see what takes place next. Look at verse number 15. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David, therefore, besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And for sake of time, I'm going to stop right there, but here's what happens If you know the story, David fasts and prays and goes before God and begins to pray, God, if you'll be, God, you're a gracious God. He recognizes God's grace, even in that circumstance and says, I know you've already said that you're going to allow the child to die, but God, if you'll just, if you'll have mercy, God, please, would you, would you spare the child? Seven days go by. Finally, that, that child dies. David Verse number uh, 20, David finds out, and it says, Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. And after the death, David gets up and begins to, to worship God, and now he's, now he's eating again, and this confuses the servants. Verse number 21, then said the servants unto him, what, what thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was yet alive, but when the child was dead, thou, thou didst rise and eat bread? And he, David, said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious unto me that the child may live? Verse number 23, but now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? What's fasting going to do? Can I bring him back again? And I love verse 23, and I love it personally in my life, in our family. When he says, I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. I can't tell you over the years how many people that we've quoted that verse to about a child that dies before the age of accountability. How many people I've quoted that verse to and how many people I've used that verse to say, I know I'm gonna see my brother again. My brother died before he was ever able to get saved. But that verse, man, that stood out to our family and I I honestly can't read it without not getting a little emotional. Well, you know what David's hope was in? I love it. David's hope was in this. His hope was in, hey, God is still gracious in this situation. Even though the child is gone, God's grace, in God's grace, I know that I will see that child again because that child's in heaven with the Lord. Verse 24, David comforted Bathsheba's wife, went into her, lay into her, and she bare a son. Oh, don't miss this last part. And he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. 
And he, God, sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So pause there real quick. God in his grace, David now is, David's wept. He's poured his heart out before the Lord. We're going to see it in just a second out of Psalm 51. David poured his heart out to the Lord. He's got right with God. He's repented. He is, he's saying, God, I recognize that restoration, gracious restoration uh, is, is painful. It's going to even cost me something. I see the consequences of my sin, but God, I'm, I'm great. I'm thankful for your grace. And he prays and, and fasts and the child still dies. But then David rejoices and worships. He goes to comfort his wife and they have another child and they name that child Solomon. You know what the name Solomon means? Peace, peaceful. One pastor said, you know why you think they might've named him Solomon is because now they were at peace with God. For a long time, they struggled. For a long time, there wasn't peace in their marriage. They both knew what they had done, Bathsheba and David. They both knew for a long time there was this inner turmoil. Listen, if you've lived with sin for one day, you know the inner turmoil that comes after you that says, hey, just just repent, just get right with God. And that's what David was living with for probably a year and a half, David living with that, that feeling and that guilt and that burden. And now, now he's right with God and he names the child Peace. And the last phrase of verse number 24 says that the Lord loved the child, but I love verse number 25 because God sends word. He sends Nathan the prophet and God tells Nathan to say this. Hey, Nathan, they had a baby. Go tell them they came up with the name Solomon, but tell them what I named the baby. What did God name the baby? You can see it in verse number 25. He, called, he, God, called the baby's name Jedidiah because of the Lord. You know what the name Jedidiah means? Oh, this, this is cool. It means beloved of God. Beloved of God. What a gracious God. What a loving God. David would do all of those things and yet God would say, nope, Solomon's one that I love and I'm gonna restore everything, David. I recognize tonight who's here on a Sunday night and I know that many people know scripture. And so you're familiar with Psalm 51. Would you do me a favor? Would you take your Bible and turn over to Psalm 51? Because in my mind, I wonder, what was David thinking during that week? What was David thinking during this time? Well, Psalm 51 is a place where we read David's thoughts during this time. Notice it, if you will. Psalm 51, I just want to read. It's only 19 verses. Let's read it together. I'll read it and follow along. What was going on in David's mind? Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Because I acknowledge my transgressions. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, 
Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived me. Behold, uh, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts, in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones that thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of, of thy salvation. Uphold me, hold me again with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood, blood guiltiness. O God, thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Do you, do you, do you sense the brokenness of David in that, in that psalm? Do you sense David just, just begging God, God, I'm broken. God, there, our, our fellowship is broken. God, I have no joy. God, I'm just, I'm just going through life, but you are distant from me. God, forgive me of blood guiltiness. God, forgive me for every sin that, is, that has taken place that has led me down this road. God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. It, it says, I recognize my sin has hit everybody, but God, at the foundation, my sin was against you. And God, I'm back. I repent. God, I come back to you. Have mercy. Have grace. Restore me. God, I desire restoration. David desired restoration, and the good thing is God desired it as well. If you went back to 2 Samuel 12, and we won't do it, but 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 26 through 31, Joab goes to fight in Rabbah again against the children of Ammon, and it comes a time when David needs to go to battle, and Joab sends word to David. David goes to battle. David claims the victory, and if you follow the story of David after this, you know what David does? He receives joy of the Lord again. He fellowships with believers again. He uses his words to praise God again. You know what takes place in David's life? Restoration. And David is restored. Now, there are, there's tons of, of principles we can gather from this story. Psalm 51, we could preach a series just through Psalm 51. But in this passage tonight, just for the sake of our series, I want us to understand that David experiences restoration in this passage. And I think if David were here tonight, he could teach us about doing some of the things he did to be restored, but also about doing some things differently than he did to be restored. And so I very quickly tonight, I wanna give you 
some keys to a restored relationship with God when you sin. Because every one of us still live in this flesh. And every one of us still deal with sin. And it may be that there's sin in your life that's broken your relationship, broken your fellowship, not your relationship, it's broken your fellowship with God and you need restoration to that. How, How do I get it? This story helps us. You may be great with God right now, but this week the devil might throw some temptation your way. How do I find restoration? Notice these very quickly and we'll be done. Number one, how do I find restoration with God? Open your eyes to your own heart. Open your eyes to your own heart. If David were standing up here, I believe David would would say, I wish I would have opened my eyes to my own heart. You know what David was doing? He was shielding, he was blinding his eyes from the sin that was in his own life. And for a year, for, for at least a year, David just kind of went on with his life. And when Nathan approached David, David was not even thinking that it was something that could be in him. No, he's the, he's the high and lofty king now. No, he's the one who is supposed to be treated well. He's the one who's supposed to be uh, on the throne. He's the one who's supposed to have a harem and a bunch of wives and all of this stuff because I'm now king. And, and David was, as we stated this morning, David was on the throne of his heart. And you know what David did? David blinded himself to sin being in his own life. He was the focus of his own attention. And I think David would say tonight, if we asked him, David, what could we do to be restored to God in a, in a quick manner when there's sin in our life? I think David would say, open your eyes to your own heart. Don't be focused upon the fact that you can't sin. Because <laughs> that's what we like to do. We like to say, well, I, that, that would never be in my life. Oh, that would never. Oh, I would never. And I'm glad, I'm glad we can have the, uh, maybe the, uh, the, the boldness to say, no, I'm gonna, and have the desire to say, no, I'm never going down that road. But we should always be willing to say, God, what David said in Psalm 139, search me, know me, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Psalm 139, the whole thing's a prayer. David had said, God, you know all of these things about me. Now show me what you know about me. Man, every day we should introspectively open our eyes to our own heart because we never know when there might be a little sin in our life that, that if planted and rooted up, and it's gonna have great repercussions. And I personally believe that if David would have repented a year earlier, we would read a very different story. I believe that, but he didn't. So David, what could we do? Well, David would say, continually ask the Lord to search your heart. Open your eyes to your own heart. Understanding that sin creeps into our lives quicker and easier than we would want to admit. How do we find restoration with God? After we've sinned, how do do we do that? How do we get it done quickly? Number one, open your eyes to your own heart. Number two, don't wait to confess sin. Don't wait to confess sin. Not only do I believe that David was kind of disregarding the sin and really just kind of moving on from it, I believe that the whole time David knew. 
I believe that David knew, and there was that knock just like there is in your life and my life, that when things aren't right with God, we know it. And there are times in our life when God shows us sin and we put off getting rid of it. We put off confessing it. And let me say this, that all sin, all sin will be exposed. All sin will be exposed. It's exposed in one of two ways. Either A, you choose to expose it to the Lord and those involved and seek restoration. Or God chooses to expose it because you've put it off. You expose it between you and God and those that it's around. Maybe it's just between you and God. You expose it to God and confess it or something's gonna happen where it's gonna come out and it's a, oh no, I got caught. The oh no, I got caught mode normally It doesn't begin as genuine repentance. Now it can lead down that road and God's desire is that it would, but genuine repentance is not just a sorry I got caught or sorry it happened or sorry I I hurt people. Here's actually what genuine repentance is and you can look it up and we'll see it. Again, we don't have time to look in Psalm 51, but it's all there. It's all there in in, uh, 2 Samuel 12. Genuine repentance always has admission. What does admission do? Admission says, I have sinned. Not, oh, I'm, I'm, I messed up. No, it says, I have sinned. I'm not excusing it. I'm not pacifying it. No, I have sinned. There's always admission. There's always focus in genuine repentance. Focus says, I have sinned against the Lord. My sin is against the Lord. It's against you and you only have I sinned. Genuine repentance always focuses on the Lord first. Yes, there may be, I mean, David, he had sinned against others, but he had to bring it back down to the foundation. I have sinned against the Lord. In genuine repentance, there's admission, there's focus, there's always brokenness. We read there David writing, you know what, God, you don't want sacrifices. You want a broken and a contrite heart. What is that? It's a broken heart before God that says, I'm broken over my sin. Hey, listen, where are people who get broken over sin anymore? I mean, most, most people that, that I know and, 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 and probably that you know when someone sins or messes up, you know, it's, it's that. Well, I just messed up. Well, I just, you know, I just made a bad, I just, I, I fell. I just made a bad choice. Man, where's genuine repentance that says, no, I'm broken. God, I've, I've hurt you. God, I've despised your word. Has brokenness, but genuine repentance always has intention. What is the intention? You look all the way through Psalm 51. Many times David says, if you, then I. If you do this, if you'll forgive me, then I will teach transgressors thy way. If you'll forgive me, then I will sing your praises again in your courts. If you'll forgive me, then I, you know what David was doing? There was intention. I'm not going back down the same road. How do we find restoration? Well, number one, open your eyes to your own heart. Number two, don't wait to confess your own sin. Number three, be willing to receive help and counsel even when it's hard. Nathan said some hard things to David in this passage, and David could have not listened to Nathan. But you know what David did? David allowed the voice of God to speak through his friend into his life. 
When you're coming back into fellowship with the Lord, allow people to help you receive instruction from others. This may be through preaching or teaching or through parents or through friends. It's, it, it's always going to be helpful. Have a one-on-one, somebody, that godly friend that's gonna have those hard conversations with you, that's going to help you walk through things. If you're married, walk through things with your spouse. If you're a teenager, walk through things with your parents. What is this? It's, re, it's being willing to say, I don't know everything and I need counsel on how to just walk with God again and be restored in my walk with him again. And David opened his mind and his heart and allowed Nathan to have that entrance into his life. Number four, journey through the next steps with grace. Well, what does that mean? Through David's story, you know what he did once he began to repent and went down that road? He just kept coming back to the Lord and saying, God, this is hard and I need you. He prayed, he fasted, he begged God to save his child. David was understanding that gracious restoration is possible, but it's also painful. He knew that restoration was possible, but it was also going to hurt He knew that sin was going to cost him, but what did he do? David just continuing leaning into the Lord's grace. Part of restoration is understanding that it's he that restores and not us. God brings restoration through his grace. God is the one that brings that joy back into our life. God is the one that that brings that forgiveness into our life. And so what do we need as we go through the process of restoring our, our walk with the Lord again and finding restoration again? We need God's grace. Number five, number five, determined to keep moving forward for the Lord. We're going to see this in our series as we continue, but this story, story of Bathsheba, yes, it tainted David's testimony forever. But you know what I love about David? And one of, this is one of the reasons I believe God refers to him as a man after his own heart. David didn't quit. David David sought forgiveness. He got right with God. He got right with those around him. And you know what he did? He kept moving forward for God. Do you know what many Christians do nowadays? Many Christians allow sin to become that which stops their growth. They stop serving. They stop giving. They stop reaching people. They stop being used. It's just... That sin literally captures them. But often it's by choice because they've repented. I know, but then they just can't move forward. Even if you look in the story, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 20, you know what David did when, right after the child passed away, David got up and worshiped God. Later, we'll find David back in the congregation. You can go to the end of David's life, and he said, "Uh, I was young, and now I'm old, and yet I've never seen God's people forsaken. For years, this would follow David, but every step of the way, David was determined to keep moving forward for the Lord. Listen, sin can cripple you, or it can challenge you to seek God. It can cripple you and stop growth, or it can challenge you to seek growth. Lastly tonight, we look at restoration. We need to remember this. Always remember that joy is never out of reach. What do you mean, pastor? 
Joy is that, it's that fellowship again. It's, it's David saying, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I, God, I, I, I knew, I knew I was sinful. I knew I was sinning. I knew I had done wrong. I knew the fellowship was broken and I was not even, I wasn't even joyous to belong to you. God, restore that again. Can I say tonight that when you and I sin, restoration in our joy is not out of reach. God always offers mercy, grace, forgiveness, and restoration. Always. Now, does that give us an excuse to sin? As Paul would say in the book of Romans, God forbid. Shall we that are dead to sin, shall we continue any longer therein? Man, God forbid. No, 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 it doesn't give us an excuse to sin. But it gives us an understanding that when we sin, God is all about restoration. Well, pastor, what can we learn from this tonight? Two principles. Two principles that I hope we would have this story help us with. Number one, allow this story to warn us. What should this story warn us about? It should warn us about the trap of sin. It should warn us this week that the devil's gonna come and he's gonna tempt you. He's gonna tempt me. And our temptation might look different. It might look different than David's, but temptation's gonna be there. So what can we do? We can receive warning from this story. I believe that if David were here, he would say, don't go down the road. Just don't even, hey, don't even go up on that rooftop. Just don't even do that and you won't have a 2 Samuel 11. Hey, don't do that and you won't have a 2 Samuel 12. Hey, warning, warning, warning. I hope it would warn us. And number two, I hope this story would encourage us. Allow it to warn us and allow it to encourage us. Encourage us to what? Encourage us to understand that you and I, we may quit on God, but God will never quit on you. I didn't bring it out, but do you remember the word despise that we talked about? God said to David, you despised my, can- my commandments. David said to God, Psalm 51, a broken and a contrite heart, thou will not what? Despise. Hey God, I sinned against you but I know that you're always gonna receive me. Hey, go read Luke 15. Hey, go read the story about the loving father who with open arms said, I will receive you back. Now, are are there natural consequences for sin? Are there things that take place in our life because of the choices we have? Yes. That's where the warning comes in. Don't go down that road. You won't have the consequences but maybe you've already been down the road. Maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's, maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe I don't know what it is tonight, but there's some, maybe there's something. Tonight should warn you, don't go down that road. But if there is something in your life already, it should be, tonight should encourage you. There's restoration with God. So here, here's the thought. Why wait? Don't pull a David and wait two years. Tonight, say, God, forgive me.
against thee and thee only have I sinned. And I come tonight with genuine repentance. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.